0: Welcome to the Life of Christ, Series 6. This is Lesson 3. Uh, we've been racing through um, <laughs> the Sermon on the Mount, only because we'd already done it in a previous series, but uh, to keep it as part of the series on the life of Jesus, I really did want to include it. Um, we are now in the section that has been titled, and let me just go back a few pages, I was actually where we we're meant to be, but let me just, of course, I would go right over the page. We are in Chapter 20, and we 're looking at the law regarding murder, and uh, what I want to do is begin in Matthew chapter five and verse twenty one where Jesus said there, "You have heard that it was said of to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment i 'm in page one i 'm just in the beginning of the chapter." Verse 22, he says, but I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raqqa, we're going to look at this today, by the way, because everybody goes, who cares if he says Raka?' <laughs> I mean, if I said Raka to you, would you, no, okay, <laughs> we're going to see what that actually means. Uh, he says, shall be in danger of the council, And but whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. You know, when we look at this, we kind of think, uh, you know, we we say fool to everybody, you know. <laughs> you know, somebody does something wrong. Go, oh, that was a foolish thing to do, or whatever. But that's not what it means in the language in the in the actual um, Greek and Hebrew. Okay, in this case, it's it's obviously Greek because it's New Testament. But it's not what it means in the original language. And so we're going to actually look at that again. I don't want to spend a lot of time going back over things. Just wanted to read you those verses to get us to where we are meant to be today, and. Uh, uh, what I want to do is pick up where we left off last week. I want to say, I want to actually bring out the, the, what, what I actually brought out last week. I'm on page six now, by the way, which was the progression. And I, I talked about a progression that occurs, how things go from us thinking about something to us saying it to us doing it. And uh, I I said, notice a progression here. I said, first, what they thought led to what they said. Second, what they said led to what they did. That is a a tremendous law, by the way. If you ever want to do something in your life and you're thinking about it, say it out loud. Absolutely. Do you know what I'm trying to say? It needs to be verbalized. Mm. It's as you verbalize things that you then express your will, Amen. and you begin to bring things about. Absolutely. Because what we have as human beings, that is unique to God, is that we can speak. Mm. You know, dogs bark and cats meow, but we speak. We speak, yeah. we speak yeah. words. Yeah. And those words express our will. Yeah. Amen. And it is a godlike quality within us Absolutely. that we have. Yeah. And so that is something that in a negative way, it works backwards. If you're thinking something bad, can I just suggest don't say it out loud? You know, isn't it funny how, <laughs> when you go to counseling, you know, this is the world and God, okay? This is again how, we, how it's different. In counseling, they say, well, talk about your feelings, and speak it all out, and everything else. And I remember one person saying something to me, the more that they went for counseling, the worse they got. Mm-hmm. Do you know why? Because they were verbalizing, and then establishing all of those things in their life. Right. And the Bible tells us that if you verbalize something then it becomes established in your life. That's why Jesus says, take no thought saying. Because He says, as soon as you say it, you are releasing something that will then go to work in your life. Even in, you know, uh, the scientific side of things. Now, see, I was not meant to preach on this. I am meant to race through this. Even... (laughs) (laughs) On the scientific side of things. I don't know if you heard of you know Caroline Leaf, that you know, she she is sort of the leading expert in that area, and she says that when we verbalize things, there are things in us that actually open up. This is scientifically speaking, okay? There There are things in us, physical things in us, that begin to actually open up, packages that stay closed if you shut up. But open up when you actually verbalize them and go to work in your life. Isn't that incredible? Things that are passed down from our fa- you know, father and grandfather and everything else. Problems that they had. You know, diseases or whatever. Stay closed until you say something. You know, that's why, you know, too many visits to a doctor isn't really good. That's right. Because the first thing they ask you is, tell us your history, your medical history. And then as you're speaking it out, they'll start to make all these plans right. for you to, you know, prevent those things. And can I say this, in trying to prevent them, you're actually causing them. Absolutely. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it funny? So I'm just sharing some of these things with you really quickly. Didn't want to go there today, but went there anyway. Sorry about that. Okay, five minutes. Hopefully that was well spent. All right. so again, you know, just as much as you can speak things out negatively, you can also speak things out positively. And that's what I said to you, they're talking about negative things here at the moment, but can I suggest you use this in a positive way in your life as well. Amen, you want to do something, say it out. Because a lot of times people say, well, I don't want to say anything because, you know, it may not happen. Well, guess what, it won't happen because you're not saying anything. You know, even if it's not to everybody else, even to yourself, say it. Are you all with me? Speak it out. And then it will start to work in your life. And I will guarantee you, somewhere down the line, if you say it enough, you will do it. I'm just saying. Because the Bible tells us that's what happens. That's how it works. We see this in a lot of places where they say, the next time I see that person, I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. Now you are saying that to yourself. And the next time you see that person, guess what? You give him a piece of your mind. They don't really care. But anyway. (laughs) okay. All right. getting back to this. I just want you to see that progression. The thought becomes uh, uh, verbalized. And when it's verbalized, if you verbalize the thought, then it will become an action in your life. Amen? Alright, in fact, in the book of Romans, I'm now moving on, the Apostle Paul warns us that the day is coming when we will have to give an account for all the angry, judgmental attitudes we harbored against others without repenting of them. Now, you know, I really want to say that. We all have problems. We all have things in our life that, you know, come against us and it causes us grief. And people usually are the biggest, you know, offenders, okay? And this is not saying that you're going to get, listen now, this is not saying that you're going to give an account for every single attitude. That you had. You know, when I was growing up, they used to. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm preaching today. I'm so sorry. Anyway, was, <laughs> uh, you know, when I was, when I was you know, young in the Lord and, and, and you know, people used to preach to me, they used to say, well, oh, there's going to come the day when you're going to be standing at the judgment seat of Christ and this big screen is going to come up and they're going to show you all of your life and all the mistakes that you made. And, you know, and, and they were saying it uh, about everyone and about everything. I realized something that first 1 John 1:9 1, says that if we confess or acknowledge our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and He raised the tape. <laughs> I changed the verse. Okay, all right. But you know, so when it gets to that part in your life, suddenly it's like one of those glitches. It jumps to about 20 minutes later. Do you know why all the stuff you did wrong that you repented of was cleaned up? There's nothing there to convict you. Isn't that wonderful? However, if you don't, well, here we are. Okay, he says, "Why do you?" Um, again, Romans. Uh, anyway, let, let me reread this again. So, in Romans, the Apostle Paul again warns us: the day is coming when we will all have to give an account for all the angry, judgmental attitudes we harbor against others without repenting of them. And so, writes in Romans chapter fourteen and verses ten through twelve. But why do you judge your brother? This is to Christian brothers and sisters, okay, judging each other. He says, Oh, why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment. Notice the word all. All, Okay, i have underlined that, okay. We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and that includes all the religious leaders that think they're exempt. They're not exempt. (laughs) Okay, if you're a person, you're going to be standing, okay. And it says in verse, oh, I said, yeah. Uh, And in verse 12, It says, uh, so then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. So again, let me say this. If you have been unrepentant, you're going to have to give an account. If you are repentant, it won't be there. God will just say, we're done, move on. And the guy behind you might go, hang on a second, I know that guy. He really, really sinned. A lot. (laughs) Okay, I can can tell you what they are if you want. And God says, no, it's all under the blood. He repented. Let's see how you did. And then this guy's screen comes up. And my goodness, my Lord, this is bad. And he's going, but that guy did more than me. I didn't do as much. Yes, but you were self-righteous and thought you didn't need to repent for any of it. So we're all getting to see it now. Okay, then let's continue on, shall we? Now return in Matthew chapter 5, second part of verse 22 goes on to say, And whoever says to his brother, we're going to look at this today, Raka shall be in danger of the judgment. In this verse, notice that the thought now has now manifested. Notice it says, and whoever says now. To his brother, do you see that? Okay, has so again. I've said you notice that the thought now has manifested itself as wicked and hateful words, and therefore is liable to be judged by a natural court. In this case, the council. Uh, in this instance, the council again is making reference to a Jewish Supreme Court of the day, run by the Sanhedrin, which was a combination of the Pharisees and Sadducees, 71 members, and presided over by the chief priests. We see all of this stuff in Jesus' time, uh, well, which is what we're talking about here, but we see all of this and, and the way that they... Uh, conducted all their affairs, and what a miscarriage of justice it was, when you see what sort of a council they had, and procedures that they had, and how so much of that was bypassed to get Jesus on the cross. It's ridiculous. Anyway... Uh, where was I? So this particular council was permitted to pass the death sentence on anyone who says Raqqa to his brother. Which according to Lamsa who translates the New Testament from Arabic sources, says that it actually means I spit on you. Now do you get it? Sure. So this is pretty insulting. Okay, so when they say Raqqa, it wasn't Raqqa, this is what it means. It means I spit on you. Okay. And in the, in the Middle East, that is a terrible thing to do. It is the highest form of insult, so to speak, and and other things. All right. But that's not the worst of it. Jesus goes on to say, in the last part of verse 22, he says, But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. All right. So, as bad as saying raka was, a person could go even further and be so angry with his brother or sister that they could actually say to them, you fool, which, listen, in the literal text means apostate or godless fool. And by saying this, I'm in the next page. They would then be, in essence, condemning them to hell. Do you get this now? The equivalent of somebody saying, go to hell. Now do you get it. Okay. Or, or, you know, we use this word badly, but the actual words mean something. You know, when somebody says, God damn you. Somebody is saying that God would damn that person. When God damn somebody, it's to hell. Are you all with me? That's why we don't use those words. Because it's, it's yeah, there. This, this is what it means. And why Jesus goes on to say that it is actually they who will be in danger of hellfire. In other words, what he's saying is that if people use that phrase, in the way, meaning it in that way, condemning other people to hell, whatever you sow, you reap. And saying, you do that, and then God's judgment will (coughs) fall on you. Because remember, you are inciting God now in this. Do you see the difference in the other one? You didn't. I spit on you. It's different too to invoking God to damn somebody to hell. And if you do that, then God looks at you and says, who are you to do that? Mm -hmm. Amen. Okay. In his commentary, William Hendrickson summarizes and explains, I'm sorry, I need to fly through this, explains that sinful anger, the kind that leads to bitter words, is in its very nature, murder. It is murder committed in the heart. This is very important. God looks on the heart, you know, we really need to watch the condition of our heart. In everything that we say, in everything that we decide to do, you know, that's why the Apostle Paul says, you know, to bless people that even have good intentions, because that's a heart intention. Do you understand? So if in my heart, I think I want to do good, you know, uh, towards... Um, Leo and Susanna, for example, that I want to do something for them, and I don't get an opportunity to do it, do you know, because in my heart, I really, really, really want to do it, God actually will take it as being done, even though I haven't done it yet. Now it's up to me to get to to it. I'm not going to play games and go now, according to Pastor Roche, he said, if I think it enough, then I'll get rewarded for it, but then I don't have to do it on the other end. Hey, God sees that as well. So, don't play games, okay? <laughs> All right, God's a little smarter than that. So, if you have an intention in your heart to do it, don't play mind games, don't play religious games. This is what the Pharisees used to do they used to play these little games, you know, because they knew that this is the danger of knowing a lot of things that, you know, you become responsible for more and more and for, for doing things the right way for the right reason because there are, you know, you can try to find loopholes, but can I say this? You can't find it with God. <laughs> you know, with the world, they can't see what's really going on. God sees everything that's going on. So, don't try to loophole your way out. You'll fall in it yourself. I'm just saying that, and let's move on. Okay, um, <clears throat> moving on. On so let's read it again. Um, William Hendricks again says, "Sinful anger, the kind that leads a bit of words." is in its very nature murder, it is murder committed in the heart. Unless he repents, the person with this kind of attitude faces la- everlasting punishment in hell. Whatever he may be in human eyes, before God, he stands condemned and is on his way to a never-ending death. Thus, while the scribes and uh, Pharisees place the emphasis on the outward deed, As if that alone were responsible, Jesus traced the deed to the underlying evil disposition of the heart, which is why he kept at the Pharisees, why he kept talking to them, why he kept saying, you know, calling them whitewashed tombstones, saying, you know, you're always looking good on the outside and that's what you've taught people to do. Mm. And why they are becoming twice the children of hell that you are. Because you've said, well, this is how you do it. See, you look good on the outside and do whatever you want when nobody's looking. Because that's what we do. And Jesus is saying, don't do that stuff. Amen? Okay, looking looking next at the term hellfire. It is literally Gehenna, referring to a dumping ground outside of Jerusalem. Where not only refuse, but the bodies of executed criminals were burned in plain sight. Robert H. Mounts adds that this was actually the place where the Canaanites burned their children alive. It's a horrible thing. In sacrifice to their god, Molech. And so over time became a symbol for future punishment. So obviously that place had significance. People would see that and when that was mentioned, their minds would go to this. Are you all with me? It was a horrific place. In fact, in his commentary, John MacArthur goes even a step further and reveals that King Ahaz and uh, Manasseh permitted human sacrifices there during their reigns, and therefore it was called the Valley of Slaughter. He concludes, in Jesus' day, it was a garbage dump where fires were burned continually, aptly symbolizing eternal fire. So that's really interesting. They had a visual uh, of what Jesus was talking about. And what he was saying when he made mention of this. Therefore, this place which Jesus makes reference to became a constant reminder of the fires of hell that would never be quenched, that awaited the unrepentant murderer at the end of his or her life, especially those scribes, Pharisees, and high priests who were behind the murder of Jesus. Hello. Okay? That, you know. You can you begin to understand. See, let me just share this very quickly with you again. I'm trying not to preach here, but let me just share this very quickly. You know, Jesus came from a place where he could see what hell was actually about. He knew hell. He saw heaven. He saw hell. Are you all with me? For them, it was still something they really hadn't seen. It was more conceptual. You know, it was like everybody talks about something, but with Jesus, that's why Jesus says, "I whatever I talk about, I talk from experience." What you guys haven't seen yet, you know. You guys imagine what heaven is like. Well, I came from there. Yeah. You guys imagine what hell is like. I know what it's like down there. Mm. Are you all with me? So, whenever he says something, whenever whatever he makes references, he is making references to things that he has experienced or knows, know firsthand. Knows firsthand. I don't know. <laughs> the sentence doesn't seem right. Okay, uh, it, it comes. Fr- it's firsthand knowledge. Can I put it that way? I don't know. How do I did that out? Yeah. Anyway. So we, we see something very significant when Jesus begins to talk about why do you hold these kind of feelings in? Do you not understand that it's leading you to some place that is absolutely horrific, not something that you joke about and say, "Well, <laughs> I'll see you in hell when I get there." You know whatever? You know how people do crazy things. You won't be funny and happy down there.. People always think they have a party down there. The only party is that the, the devil, ha- it, it's his party, and you're on the menu. Yeah. Hello? <laughs> you know, you'll be roasting down there. Anyway, alright, so to conclude it all, William Hendrickson writes, Jesus is emphasizing one central lesson, namely that the root of evil lies in the heart, where love must be substituted for hatred and indifference, and sincerity for hypocrisy and selfishness. Amen? Therefore, if this is something that you are struggling with, I've said the solution is simple. 1 John one nine promises us, us that if we confess our sin, or acknowledge our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us. Our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So from all that we've seen, it would be wise to repent and avoid judgment at all costs. And may I add, do it quickly, because the quicker you repent, the less time the enemy has to work against you, and the less damage he can do to you. You all know this from the epistles of John, because we're going through that. I keep bringing that up constantly. And if it ever seems like the problem is more than you can handle, just remember what the Apostle Paul wrote, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and verse 13, and that is, there is no temptation... No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. In other words, there's never going to come something. Now, this is not saying it's easy. Let me begin by saying that. This is not saying it's easy. This is not saying that, well, you know, put in a little bit of effort and you'll get over it. How many of us know that isn't true? Okay, because you look at this and think, well, I can tell you of a few instances where it overcame me, so I don't know about this verse, right. Hey, we're not talking about that. What we're talking about is the devil can't bring something at you that mankind doesn't know about. Whatever he comes against you, he has come against other people with as well. Do you understand? Because if he came against you with something that you have absolutely no experience with, You know, if a green Martian turned up and said, drink this liquid, and you think, I don't know whether this is good or bad. (laughs) <laughs> okay that's a temptation that you don't know whether that was a good thing or a bad thing i don't know what to do about that i'm using an extreme example but i want you to get something he's saying listen anything and everything that comes against you others have it they have it has come against others as well and the word of god will have a solution god's promises will cover it somewhere somehow anyway so he says no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man but god is faithful i love this Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Now, listen, this is only possible when you are in fellowship with Him. People, I don't know how many times have said, Well, you know, brother, things have happened, and I've, you know, this is not true. God has put me through things that, and see, this is where the first problem begins. That God has tempted me beyond what I could manage and the thing is that what they don't realize is what came against them wasn't God, it was the devil. Do you understand? So the first thing they get wrong is that this is not God. Number two, because you're not spending time with God, there's no way He can help you and tell you this isn't Him. Hello, which is where people go wrong and why they falter and fail. And so that's why He says, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape. In other words, it's saying, and that you may be able to bear it. In other words, it's saying, listen, whatever comes your way, God will always give you a way out. He's not tempting you in that. See, th- this is why it's really sad when we, when we look at this. You know, we think God is tempting. But notice it, it says He won't allow whatever is attacking you, to go beyond what you can manage, except He step in, again, how does He step in? Unless we talk to Him? Are you all with me? So there are things that are going to come against us because we are living in a fallen world. And if they come against us, the place, I always tell you know, my kids and everything, is the place to run to when you're in trouble is God. When you make a mistake, go to Him. When you're doing well, keep with Him. Just All the time, be with Him. You know what I'm trying to say? One way or the other, just go to Him. Because that's the safest place to be. And especially in temptation, go run to Him. Don't run from Him, run to Him. Amen? And, and even if you mess up, still go to Him, because He's faithful and just to forgive and cleanse. Hallelujah. So, this is supernatural deliverance with God Himself making the way of escape for you, and helping you get through it. But only as long as you decide to cooperate with Him. Okay? Amen. All right. Uh, I've got five more minutes. I'll get on to the next thing. How about that? Yes. Rather than yeah, is that okay? Yes. Alright. So returning to Matthew chapter five and continuing on to verse twenty three, Jesus goes on to say now, he says, therefore, the word therefore at the beginning of the verse indicates what Jesus is about to say follows directly from what he had just said, okay? With him now addressing the person that the brother in the previous verse was angry with and what his responsibilities are. Okay? In other words, whenever Jesus addresses an issue, he addresses both sides. Okay, alright. And shows us that both parties have responsibilities. Neither is exempt. Amen. And so he says in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 23 and verses 23 and 24, he says, Therefore, if you bring your gift... To the altar. And there remember that your brother has something against you. Remember he's talking about the brother who had something against you and saying, listen, that guy has to repent, blah, 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 blah. Now he's saying, if you are the one that was, had, you know, the person that this person had something against, and you are about to give your offering, he says, listen, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Now, let me just say this up front this isn't saying that you can't give nothing to nobody if somebody out there has a problem with you. And that you have to reconcile everything with them before you ever give anything. That's okay. Because if you just read it, and this is why people get you know, all kind of trouble reading stuff. All right, It's not saying that. Alright? Remember, in fact, we'll just go through this and I will explain it to you. Okay? But I will just, up front, because I don't know how far I'm going to get through this. I don't want somebody to go, oh dear God, I don't want to do this series anymore. That's just too hard. Okay, I'm just telling you, settle down. Calm down. It's good news. Okay, I'll always give you good news. Alright, William Hendrickson in his coming to translate these verses from the Greek to read. Therefore, if while you are bringing your offering to the altar, you there remember that your brother has a grievance against you, leave your offering there in front of the altar, and first go and be reconciled to your brother, then come back and present your offering. So again, we see from this, the, this translation that this isn't just a little thing that requires reconciliation, but something so bad that it is classified as an actual grievance. That means you can, you can bring your offering to the Lord at all other times. So again, this is something that's really, really bad. Okay, all right. So it's not little things. It's a big thing. Okay. And in light of what Jesus has just taught us, again, I will balance this out, about anger and its penalties, we now understand that if if you have made someone really angry, for whatever reason, and they are going to be under God's judgment, the point of this is that if you cause somebody to be angry, remember they're talking about, first of all, the angry brother who wants to do something to this other person. If you were the one that caused it, If you cause this person to get mad... Isn't this really interesting? We never see it that way. We usually see the person that's mad and go, Well, they're sinning. But we never ask, how come they're mad? Who made them mad? Is there something that person needs to do in this situation? Are you all with me? And so Jesus is saying, Listen, if you did something purposefully, you upset somebody, you did something wrong to them, you know they're mad and furious... And then you kind of go, Well, Jesus, I'm bringing my offering to you. Now do you see what's going on? The Lord's saying, Don't do that. Don't you go cause somebody, you know, like say I caused dad a big problem. I just told him off and whatever, whatever. Then I go to church, raise my hands, go, Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. And, uh, you know, Andrew gets up and I go, Oh, they're blonde. You know what? You know, I'm I'm giving money. That guy said something, some really good things. And so, and the Lord says to you, your dad's still mad at you for what you did. And you know you're wrong. And I'm just going, yes, 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 whatever. I want to give because, you know, Andrew said that I'll get a hundredfold return. I want my money. That's what I want, my, my, my money. No? <laughs> you know the song, right? Okay, so I really want to illustrate something here to show you what's going on. Because I don't want you guys to, you know, be in a place where are about to give. And then you remember somebody mad at me. And, you know, they, if, if they're mad... Because it's a problem they're having with you, not because something you did to them. Listen, that's what we're talking about. Go ahead and give your money. It's cool. What it's saying is, if you cause somebody grief, you know about it. God has been dealing with you and saying, apologize to that person. You're going, no, I want them to feel that way okay they deserve to feel that way and you have this attitude you know what I'm trying to say and he's saying and you're about to give something don't because you're giving with the wrong heart now you've got a curse over you right now are you all are you all seeing this now let me just throw this in really quickly if there is something that you think maybe you call somebody a bit of grievance and you suddenly realize something, okay, and you think, oh, maybe that's just about to give you an offering, and you think, oh, maybe that's why, you know, they've been so na- narky again, you know, whatever, and then whatever. You can ask God to forgive you at that point in time with the intention that you're going to go call them and say, I'm really sorry, I just realized why you're this way. Do you understand? And in doing that, you can give your offering. You know why? Because this wasn't something you made happen. This is something you kind of thought, oops, I think I know why it happened. One yeah. of those oopsie things, you know what I'm trying to say? Okay, so again, that's not a problem. So again, the focus here is on somebody that has caused somebody some massive grievance, knows about it, will not repent, and is bringing their offering to God. And God's saying, better not. Now we're getting it. Yeah. Okie okay, dokie, moving on. Oh dear Lord, that took my five minutes away. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Sorry about that. This is important stuff because we do this every Sunday. Okay, And I don't want you guys to get the wrong uh, idea of what what, what this is saying. Um, In light of what Jesus has just taught us about anger and its penalties. Now we understand that if you have made somebody really angry, notice if you have made somebody really angry for whatever reason, and they are going to be under God's judgment and are not going to receive anything from Him, then you need to repent. That being the case, then how can God bless your giving when you are the cause of your brother's or sister's poverty? Do you understand that by making them angry, this is saying something very interesting and we'll stop here, that they, because they are angry, are missing out on a blessing because you made them angry. Do you hear me? Because anger, regardless, is still a sin. So, You made them angry. They're in sin. Mm. They're not going to get blessed by God. Why should you be blessed by God? Is what's going on here. Get it? And we'll stop there. Take a break and we'll return for the next session.